Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Square One. A podcast where we take our guests back to square one, where they first started their business, so that you can learn from their successes and failures. Brought to you by Isaiah and Malcolm with Omni Home Services. Welcome to the Square One Podcast, the real estate edition with super co-host Doug Edrington and the man that literally needs no introduction, Tom Ferry himself. Well, clearly I do in Chattanooga. In Chattanooga, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. We just came from this amazing event that Jay Douglas and his team put on at the Hunter Museum that Tom was the keynote at. Tom, I'm not personally a real estate agent, but 90% of the stuff you put out there relays in any business. So It's business, yeah. So it it was awesome. One of the things we uh, try to go for our audience is something that they can take away and start doing immediately. You went over a ton of stuff this morning, but if our audience is listening to something, what is one tactic or strategy that they can immediately do that they can see a positive ROI on? Easy. Okay. So I would say first and foremost, um, rule number one in business is know your customer. And if you understand who your customer is and you understand what their pains are, what their worries are. Most real estate professionals, as most entrepreneurs are, think squarely every single day about themselves. What are my problems? How's my relationship? What am I going to get paid next? And in this environment, in every environment, whoever flips their focus to what's going on in the minds of the customers. So here's what I'd remind you. When a real estate agent gets asked this question, how's the market? The consumer doesn't really care how the market is. They only care about one thing. They care about how much equity do I have in my house? And is that equity appreciating or depreciating? And what they really care about is how is this economy and this market and this moment in time going to impact my equity and therefore my future plans? So every day, hundreds of millions of people are going to homes.com, Zillow, Realtor, Homeward, Homelet, over. They're just going to all these sites because they're trying to figure out, is my equity safe? So I say to all my clients today, Grab your phone, type in the first, okay, I'm going to go, Doug and Laura, they live at 1234 Banana Street here in Chattanooga. I'm going to pull up their house on Zillow, which is notorious for having incorrect prices, right? And that's a good thing for us. And I'm going to take a screenshot of Doug's house. I'm going to send it to Laura and say, hey, Laura, I was doing some research today on your neighborhood, and I just decided on Zillow to stop by and look at your property. Here's your most recent Zestimate. It says your home today is worth one point whatever banana dollars. And then there's the screenshot of the house. Then I'm going to say, how do you feel about that price? I've got my opinion. Let me know what you think, and I'm going to send it. And I'm going to text 10 people every single day. And I'm going to do that until I go through my entire phone and my entire database. And before the listener says, oh my goodness, that would be exhausting. Those people want to talk and yada, yada, yada. And sometimes they don't want to sell. And how do I just find the ones that want to sell? My response is you've already lost. Because every seller lead that you generate is someone else's abandoned client. Everyone that you don't send one to, you are abandoning your client. And you're saying to them, it's okay Go to Zillow and figure out how much your home is worth. And oh, by the way, while you're there, they're really good at getting people to fill in their name and information and click. And just like that, you're losing. So I say it to you with the utmost of respect. It's a long answer to your question. Give people what they want. People want to know. You know, what's interesting is the agent doesn't like to make phone calls, right? Yeah. Which is a weird thing. It's a weird concept. Absolutely. The majority of agents don't like to make phone calls. I just called 600 agents. Mm -hmm to invite them to come hear you speak. Right. And it wasn't a recruiting call. 
It wasn't, it costs money. It was bring a jacket or a coat so we can donate. Make a donation. And, yeah. and, and the overwhelming gratitude that these people had because I was offering them something of value yeah. was tremendous. And this is the same thing. This is exactly the same thing. You're offering them something of value. Yes. You're not asking for anything. And again, there's been so many books written to me, Servant Leadership, you know, Gary Vee, who I've known forever. It's like, you, know, you got to deliver value, value, value. But like most people don't know how to deliver value. The mega trend that's happening is personalization. So people don't care about your just sold card because the only thing they care about is, did that sale make my equity go up, remain the same or go down? That's the only thing they care about. So I guess if I was, you know, if I was listening today, I would be thinking about how am I going to let every single person know exactly how much their home is worth, how much equity they have. I would back up the text by saying, Hey Doug, when was the last time you guys had an equity review? And they're going to say, well, I've never had an equity review. Why don't we get together for 15 minutes? Let me walk you and Laura through what's going on with home prices. I've got a few questions and I'm going to ask questions like, so you guys bought this house like a year and a half ago. Congratulations. Do you guys have any plans to improve the property over the next three to four years? Oh yeah, we've already done this. Cool. And, and when you do that, are you guys expecting the value to go up, stay flat, go down? What are you guys thinking? Well, God, we hope it'd go up. Hey, I got to ask, is this your forever home? What's the answer? Well, probably not. Probably not. So just my advice to you as a, as a real estate professional is just be careful that you don't overdo all the things you want inside the house because you might not get the return that you're looking for. Has anybody taken the time to walk you through what are the right moves? They provide the comfort and lifestyle and joy that you and your wife want, but at the same time, you're not overspending. And anyone that has owned a home before has probably done that. I know I've done it. We all have, right? Yeah. Because no one's taking the time to educate us. Yeah. Malcolm's done it. <laughs> we all have. So, you know, again, I think that's, that's the new way. One-on-one, -on -one, hand to hand combat, getting with your clients and having a lot of care and empathy for their situation. That is a step-by-step, -step, awesome approach that should floor listeners. In fact, I heard you say that two hours ago and I'm floored again, just hearing it yeah. of the simplicity and uh, the beauty in it. Right. Um, Tom, so our podcast is for, you know, budding entrepreneurs that are not really told the ugly side of things when they start their business yeah. or CEO uh, role. Instead of just talking about the good stuff, we talk about the bad stuff. So in your opinion, is failure important to entrepreneurs? Um, yes. How? Uh, 9,999 ways the light bulb didn't work. And then he got one. James Dyson, James Dyson, everybody knows now we know Dyson vacuum cleaners, multi-billion dollar company. James Dyson went to work for somebody else, decided he wanted to create something new. And the company got the patent. He didn't get the patent, cost him hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. He created it, right? That was a mistake, right? Lost him hundreds of millions of dollars. He decides I'm going to build the most insane vacuum cleaner on the planet. He works tirelessly for 13 years before he finally hits it right. 13 years. Now, here's the question. Did he fail or did he figure out what didn't work? Figured out what didn't work. Progress. I mean, I guess it's the mindset that you have. Mm -hmm. Are you going to just accept the failure and walk on or are you going to see that failure is an opportunity. Thank you for leading in. And how that. many times does failure lead to a totally different idea that you weren't even trying? 1,000%. Right? Oh, you had me watch um, last night, went to dinner. He was telling me about his mentor, Mike Vance. And uh, he was like, you need to watch this video. So last night I went home, sat on the porch, watched this video. I had no idea that hello came from hell no. 
Yeah. Hello was Alexander Graham Bell and his buddy, and they're trying to use this thing called a phone, but it sounded like this most time. And, you know, the guy was like cursed all the time. Hell no, it didn't work again. And then they figured out, hey, you know, we need some way. Think about this. So I'm going to actually go a different direction because you could just, you could read all that stuff. Here's what I want you to think about. If you're an entrepreneur today, the number one thing is to understand what is the addressable market of my business? How big is the addressable market? How many people can I serve? How much money is there to be made in this business? Most people don't think that way. They just go, oh my God, I'm passionate about photos with bananas on it. So I'm going to do photos with bananas, right? Over and over again. But they never say how much revenue is done in this area. They never ask themselves, who is the competitors in our space? Is there anybody that's dominant in the space or is it a bunch of mom and pops? They never ask themselves, what are the pain points that customers are experiencing in this space that if I can solve those problems in a beautiful way, people will throw bushel baskets of money at me because I took an archaic industry turned it on its head and made it beautiful because I served the customer. So how big is the market? Who are the competitors? You with me? What's question number three? Do you remember? It was... I got him on the spot. Uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Okay. Every entrepreneur listening right now, your business, your business, my business, what happens is we build our business and we think about how do we solve the problems of our customers? That was question number three. And then hopefully what we do is we create some unique things that we do that nobody else is doing. Biggest problem in real estate today, everybody does the same stuff. You with me? So very, very few degrees of separation between brokerage A and brokerage B. Big degrees of separation between agent A and agent B because it's on the local level where their brand can shine and their work ethic really matters. The reality is, and I coach all the CEOs, and I'm like, okay, so you got a balloon and you got purple and your you know, logo is black and you guys say this, but they all have coaching, training, technology, leads, blah, 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 blah. they all do the same stuff. So when you're starting a new company or you're trying to reimagine your own business, you have to write down the question, what are my unique factors? What do I do that is different? Steve Jobs took an industry that was dominated by BlackBerry and he just made it more unique. He created a platform, right? Long before people were talking about platforms, he created a platform and a phone where with an open source, anybody could build an app and put it inside the platform and make money. He completely disrupted the music industry. Or we're talking about a phone that today, it's arguably the single most commercially successful product in the history of business. We're talking about a phone, <laughs> a phone from hell no slash hello to now we live on this device where Steve was a master. He was also mentored by Mike Vance was Mike was always like, you've got to have unique factors. You've got to be the place where you can say, I am the only place in town where you can get this. If you can say, I am the only place in town where this is available, you'll never have a marketing problem. You will just announce to the world, we're the only place. But then, you know, Doug, because you have done such a masterful job of this, you keep creating unique factors and then everybody else rips you off. So what do you have to do? Keep inventing. Continually plus and enhance and make the unique factors better, but always centered around what are the problems that my customers are facing and how do I help solve them? I love that. Malcolm, I got a question. This is a flashback for me. Five and a half years ago, I had this thought of, I think I need to start a brokerage because everywhere I'm thinking about going isn't going to have what I believe I need. And so I put what I considered a lot of work into it. 
And then I called up Tom and I was like, Hey, can we hop on a zoom call? I'll run this past you. Tell him everything about my business. And the first thing he says to me, he says, I would not invest in that business. And I was like, Hmm. Okay. So, and, and not it wasn't that, that nice, but, but I wasn't being <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. He's being real. And so it, turned into a long conversation, which led into version two, three, and four, which one finally stuck, right? Right. And then still constantly innovating to, to make it what it needs to be. But I remember another time, and I, I feel bad, I don't remember all the questions. You had explained to someone, thinking of the audience of budding entrepreneurs, you should think through the filter if you're thinking about starting a business of your mentors, would they invest in your business? Mm-hmm. And you had a list of questions. Maybe you might remember some of them. If you do a lot of startups, you do a lot of angel investing. So what's the list of questions or a couple of them? All right, so here is you know what I'm so, talking about. Yeah, so hey, I've been, this is gold right here. Yeah, I've been pitched north of a thousand times. So I don't care who this is. What best business? Fr- best what? friend. I don't care what industry. I'm not looking at your deck. I don't want to hear who your management team is yet. I don't care who your mentors are. Hey, explain the problem you're trying to solve to me as if I was six years old. What if I told you most meetings never get to question two? Because what I get is this. Okay, so let me tell you what we're trying. I, I built this, these, these blueberries and these blueberries are so amazing and I really like them. And I'm like, oh, you're in love with your product, but you can't explain what problem your product solves to a six-year-old. And if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you will never explain it to an adult who's running around with ADD and has got 7 million things on their mind. So some of them say, I'm trying to disrupt... 16% of this category. And I'm like, oh, tell me more about that. How do you plan to do that? Why? Now I'm interested, right? Mm-hmm. Then I go, okay, question number two, how large is the TAM? How large is the addressable market? And what, or excuse me, and who's doing the most revenue in that space? So my friends start Zillow and they're like, okay, we're trying to disrupt realtor.com, right? Cool. How much revenue is in that space? They're doing $500 million a year and they're the only company in the space at the time, 25 years old now, right? Then I'm like, okay, is your model different than any other players? Is the way you're going to do your business, is it different? Is the way you attract customers different? Is the way you deliver it different? Is it, is it done with AI? Is it done with technology? Is it surprise and delight? Like think taxi cabs to Uber, right? I'm going to make a town car affordable to everyone in seconds. Can you believe that anybody anywhere in the world would ever have a drink and drive today? right? With Uber, Lyft and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. So so is your model different? Well, let me pause you right there. So you talk about Zillow or Uber mm-hmm. and you talk about how much money is there in that space, but no one could have predicted that there was that much money in that kind of space, could they? Yes, they did. Because I saw the McKinsey study on, because I've been in the real estate space my entire life. So there was a McKinsey study that I saw back in 2001. And in 2001, they broke down how much money real estate professionals were spending on Leads, direct mail, lockboxes, signs, their car, their broker, da, 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 okay. GRI, CRS, all their designations. And back then, back then, it was like $7 billion in 2001. So we knew then, but we also knew the rise of the agent was really just beginning because the internet was about to hit, right? Even though we launched our websites in 1995, 1996, we knew it wasn't commercially viable until we really got through the bubble of 2001. And that's when things started to kick in. And then we had 2007, right? The greatest, most miserable time on the planet. I say greatest and miserable because so many great companies were birthed out of 2007, eight, nine, that now we all look and say, well, I'm on Facebook all day long. Well, thank you. You're welcome. That was 2007. You with me? So 
How is your model different? What are your differentiating factors? Have you tested it? Have you done the model financially? That's all question number three. Question number four, how do you make money? How do you make money? Oh, well, if we're able to X, Y, and Z, then we can squeeze out a, oh, I don't like any business where you have to try and squeeze out. I want bushels full of cash coming in. I want Disney. People just, doesn't matter what they charge. People show up and they just throw money at them and they buy crappy merch and for days, right? It's nuts. Then I want to ask number five, who's on the cap table? Who are the other investors? I just got pitched on a deal a couple of days ago. I'm trying to buy this company. And the guy says, he might be listening. This will be funny. He says, I want $20 million for my company. They're doing sub $2 million a year in revenue. So I'm like, you want a 10X multiple on a declining business that has been around for nine years that you've never got more than $2 million and you want a $20 million valuation. He says, yes. I said, cool. I'll buy the business. All you have to do is find one other investor that'll write a check for seven figures or more at your valuation and I'll follow their lead. And crickets. That's it. I'm like, dude, you're in love with your product. Like I get it because it's like every agent that's listening knows, go to a seller and say how much you want for your home. None of them ever say, can you give me the lowest possible price at the highest possible fee? (laughs) No, they say, I want the most amount of money and I want your fee to be zero. You know what I mean? Like that's just, it's human nature, right? So then I say, tell me about your management team, who are your engineers, who are your salespeople, where they come from, what's their background? Do you have some proof, right? And then my last one is, have you pitched this to, and I named like four or five other investors that are in my space. And if they don't even know who those people are, and we got to this point, I'm like, I'm going to buy 25% of your company because we're here and you've got something special and no one else knows about it. And then I'm going to use my firepower, my branding, my distribution, my marketing, blow it up, which is what we did with Humanize. You know Barbara Corcoran, right? Of course. I knew when she, yeah, when she was little Barbara Corcoran, when she was starting a real estate company. She's a beast. What episode are you going to be the guest shark? <sighs> you know, <laughs> we actually talked about doing it just inside the real estate space because you know, at this point now, because I've been doing it for so long, I've got my fingers in so many other things that I think we could pull it off because there's a, there's a bunch of really good investors in our space and the real estate space, like the entrepreneurial space, which is every sector on the planet, right? We're talking in the US, we're talking about trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, right? And what we need right now is innovation. What we need is new product. What we need is the imagination of someone that says, this is stupid. We've been doing it like this for how long? Like the next, the, the next Apple 18 house months, will come around. For right? sure. What year? Sure. What year do you think? Um, when does housing completely change as we know it? Well, so there was a lot of tests that were done early on. And by tests, I mean experimentation around like what's going on in Hong Kong in terms of housing and then bringing that to the US. These like really tiny micro homes that are, you know, 40 story high buildings that have like 400 square foot apartments, but you own it. Right. So we're seeing all kinds of innovation Boxel? happen. Is that what it's called? Boxel? Um, Bo- uh, Musk. Elon, he's, he's, he's building. Yes. Well, how about the other one? I just met with a guy named uh, Najib. So Najib is building houses in 18 weeks or less. He's done them in nine weeks. Houses built in nine weeks, prefab, all metal out of his warehouse in Texas. And they literally show up and they put them together like Legos. That's awesome. And they're selling them for like 650,000 bucks. So he's like, Hey, I want you to come to my manufacturing shop. I'm like, all right, Elon of cars, you're doing this for houses. So I think it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm actually more excited about Elon Musk's robot and how that's going to change the lives of so many people on this planet. Now, if you saw, you know, Will Smith, iRobot, you're probably freaking out of your mind thinking, no, the robots are going to kill us. But if you actually listen to what Elon's trying to accomplish, he's thinking about elderly people. Mm-hmm. He's thinking about 
families with children in need, right? With disabilities. He's thinking about people that are just lonely, right? People that, that have remained isolated post the pandemic that can now have a robot pal. And if you Google Elon Musk robot and you watch a couple of videos, put it this way, I'm not betting against mm-hmm. Elon Musk. Elon Musk and his robots. <laughs> um, hey, Tom, uh, so you put something out super valuable that you actually quoted your dad. Yeah. And uh, your dad told you, you will be successful if you control three things. Yeah. Health, money, and environment. Yes. I think what a lot of us get lost on is environment. Can you just take like a minute and a half and tell us about that? So environment is who you spend your time with, who you associate with, where you go. It's So just for context, when he said that to me, so I was kicked out of both parents' houses, right? So I was crazy then, crazy now, just crazy different. Um, but back then I lived in Costa Mesa, California on a street called Center Street. And my bedroom mirror of my $650 two bedroom apartment that my brother and I could barely afford to split, my bedroom window had a bullet hole, which was great. Cause like when the sun was like coming up, I had a nice little rainbow from the bullet hole shards all over the place. <laughs> Silver lining. And, uh, and my dad said to me when he first saw that apartment, so my dad pulled up in a brand new Rolls Royce. He pulled up right next to my Honda 125cc lawnmower on wheels motorcycle. And I thought he was going to hit it, which would have really bummed me out. And he came up to the apartment and he looked around and he's like, you didn't listen. And I'm like, dad, I'm doing the best I can with what I got right now, man. I'm like working at a grocery store trying to get my high school diploma. And he's like, listen, kid. He's like, you become like the people you spend your time with. He walked into my room and he goes, okay, you get it. Because my room was tight. You with me? Make my bed every day. Discipline. I got it, right? I got what he was saying when he said it. Record player, everything was organized. All my clothes were organized. I wasn't sloppy. I knew then, control what you can control. So if it was a crappy apartment, I controlled a crappy apartment. I couldn't control where the apartment was, but I can control my environment inside there. And the hope that I get for people, one of my dad's mentors, a guy named Earl Nightingale, Right. So Earl created what we would call the motivational speaking industry. There would be no podcast like this without Earl. Earl said, everyone wants to change the world. Let me tell you, you change the world. You sweep in front of your own doorstep first. You clean your shit. Then you clean your street. Then you can like your little community, your subdivision. Then you clean part of the city and you keep going from there. But it always starts first with clean your own house first. And your house is your office, your car, it's everything. It's it's your finances, it's the baggage you have from the past. Clean it all up so you can move forward. I love it. So you may have kind of answered our last question here because we're wrapping up, but we say the square one. If you could go back to square one 34 years ago, or you could talk to your younger self, what advice would you give you? Um, I have zero regrets because I I have tried many things that have not gone well and learned a ton of lessons. I'd probably say uh, get my boys in my bed when they were young and snuggle with them more. I did it a lot, but you know, by the time they were like eight and 11, I was like, all right, guys, men, get out of here, right? Um, that I would have married my wife a few more times and I married her three times. I would have just kept doing it. And then probably the most important thing is I would have started a lot more businesses. I would have taken a lot more risk faster. Because what I know is everything worthwhile, and you're now, you're experiencing this, everything worthwhile takes a decade, right? So the longer you put off starting, it takes a decade, a decade, 10 freaking years before you say, huh, I got it. 
And oh, by the way, 90% of businesses don't even make it to a decade. So you could be alive in a decade, but if you figured out product market fit, people, management, finance, marketing, product right, you know, you figure all that stuff out and you're still in business after 10 years and you're still doing the same amount of money, your company's not worth $20 million if you're listening right now. I can tell you that much. It's worth like maybe two, but I think that's the game, right? I would have started everything way sooner. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to Square One Podcast, a podcast brought to you by Omni Home Services, where we rep Chattanooga Home Inspector, Nuclear Pest Control, Elevate Home Staging and Design, and Radon Eraser. We release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode.